This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. I've been preparing for this all my life. Here's Porter on hard and taking him to school. What a great play by Jay Shante. KJ Martin climbed Bobon Mountain. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. And you've seen tonight that we, we fought together, we stayed together, and it's about damn time, man. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, the best and only daily podcast covering your Houston Rockets. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and partner at Apollo Media. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, as well as at Apollo HOU. And hey, if you enjoy what we do here at Locked on Rockets, do me a favor, hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, hit the subscribe button on our brand new YouTube channel. We just passed one thousand subscribers one week ahead of schedule ahead of our july 15th goal for 1000 subscribers we already knocked that out of the park thank you so much if you're one of the subscribers if you've already hit the subscribe button thank you i sincerely appreciate it onward and upward we're still looking to you know keep keep knocking out the ceiling and keep keep going up so if you're not subscribed yet please consider subscribing i would sincerely appreciate it now today's episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories it's only worth it if you enjoy it now, today's episode is going to be really cool because in segments two and three, we're actually going to be joined by Stefan Martinez, uh, owner and head skills coach of Dig Deep Basketball. And we're going to kind of talk to him about what it's like to you know be a skills coach, to work in player development, and to work closely with the Houston Rockets own Jay Sean Tate and some of the stuff that they've worked on, uh, you know, over the course of his career and how he's improved and, you know, the areas they like to focus on when they do work out together and things like that. And just in general, how skills development kind of works. So really great conversation with Stefan coming up in just a second, but I want to spend this first segment. So first off the Phoenix suns led by Chris Paul are now up 2-0 in the NBA finals and they're the conversations that are going to be sprouting that are already sprouting, especially in Rockets Twitter, right? Uh, regarding Chris Paul and obviously the Rockets having traded him not even a full calendar two years ago, all of this stuff, right? It, it's going to bring up some uh, some old wounds. And all I can say is where, where I'm at is I'm just I'm happy for Chris Paul and I'm happy for the Rockets moving forward that we have a new era of Rockets basketball to be excited about with this exciting young core, Christian Wood, Jay Sean Tate, Kevin Porter Jr., KJ Martin, Kyrie Thomas, Armani Brooks. I mean, you name it. We've got so many exciting young players to cheer for and these you know potential building blocks for a really good team moving forward. And then not only that, but there's the number two overall pick that we're going to be factoring into all of those guys that I just listed off. And I had, I don't want to call it a revelation, but, and I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't sit here and be like, Oh, my eyes have finally seen the light because I was kind of treading like 60, 40 for a while there. Mobley versus green. But I think that our most recent episode, our film room session with Ali Kambijani, as well as, uh, the 
film room session that Jalen Green recently did with ESPN's Mike Schmidt. Uh, just, I am now, I'm now in the Jalen Green camp. It took me a little while to get there, but I'm finally in the Jalen Green side of the camp. I think he's the guy that the Rockets should draft. I was in a mock draft the other day, and when the Rockets number was called at pick number two, uh, I responded back and I said, the Rockets are taking no phone calls. They are drafting Jalen Green, number two overall. Cade Cunningham clearly went number one overall in this draft, and I had somebody in the draft try to offer me, uh, the Orlando Magic rep tried to offer me a bunch of stuff, and I was like, yeah, I'm not feeling that. So... It took me a little while to get on the Jalen Green train, and it was—it's been a—it's been a long, weird journey for me because I was lowest on Jalen Green out of all the top prospects. You know, started out Suggs was really high on Mobley, and I'm still really high on Mobley. And if the Rockets decide that they ultimately want to go Mobley, I won't be upset by that. And I think that's the main thing to remember: is as we've gone from it being kind of a peaceful discourse. It's still relatively peaceful, but I feel like it's gone from, you know, okay, everybody really likes their guy and they're going to, you know, they're parading around all the facts for their guy, be it Mobley or Green or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's gone from just supporting their choice, your, you know, the, the person's choice to instead of arguments about why they should pick XYZ guy, it's kind of turned into arguments of why they shouldn't pick the other guy. And so now it feels like we're kind of tearing down each of them, be it Mobley or Green, situationally in some of the conversations that I've seen on Rockets Twitter and whatnot. And that shouldn't be the case, right? Both of these young prospects are so exciting, so talented, so dynamic that whichever one the Rockets pick, we should be absolutely ecstatic for. I'm just, I just so happen to now be in the Jalen Green camp. And I'm going to be honest, watching Devin Booker hoop is not, helpful towards the Mobley mobs cause like it's just not watching that alpha level score be able to light up games and get a bucket seemingly at will when he absolutely needs to it's not helpful and I know that there's going to be like the contingent of the Mobley mob that are still holding on for dear life they're gonna be like well what about DeAndre Ayton Aiden's been great too. They're both great. That's the dilemma at hand, right? Is which one of like which one of them do you want to go with? And I think what it really boils down to for me is even though DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker, one, they're not they're not perfect identical meshes for for Jalen Green and uh, Evan Mobley whatsoever, but it just so happens that we're watching an NBA finals with a young star scoring shooting guard, alpha scorer and a young budding center who happens to be the defensive anchor for the Phoenix suns, even though Mobley and Jalen green are different players, you know, there's going to be comparisons drawn between these two guys, these two sets of guys, I should say. But for me, ultimately what it comes down to between green and Mobley is even though I think Mobley has the truer, like higher ceiling, and honestly, probably even a higher floor from the moment he steps foot on an NBA court. I think Jalen Green's ceiling is more attainable. So even if they both ultimately hit their max ceiling and say on a scale of one to a hundred, Mobley's ceiling is a 100 and Jalen Green's ceiling is a 90 or a 95, 
even though Green's ceiling is slightly lower than Mobley's, I think Green has a better chance of actually reaching that true ceiling. Everything that Evan Mobley projects to be is incredible, right? But I think there's a longer road ahead of Evan Mobley to truly realize all of those talking points when you talk about his game about becoming, you know, an incredibly, you know, an incredible two-way elite force, being able to build up his body to, you know, withstand NBA level physicality on the defensive end, as well as to be able to utilize his size offensively without losing uh, what makes him so unique in his speed and, you know, his ability uh, to move laterally, things of that nature. There's just a lot of different things that I wonder if, like, I just, I'm curious as to how they're actually going to pan out for Evan Mobley. And the thing is, is even if he doesn't reach his true ceiling, Evan Mobley is still going to be an incredibly dominant player, even at 70 or 80 or 85, whatever, out of that one to a hundred scale that I just, you know, arbitrarily threw out there. I still come back to Jalen Green. I think he is more than likely going to cap out at his true ceiling down the line. You listen to his interviews. You listen to how hard he works, how what his teammates, what his coaches say about him. Um, the fact that he came into the G League bubble and was really kind of a bad defender coming into the G League bubble and told his coaches, hey, I want to be a two-way player. I want to be better defensively. And you look at you know a guy that's six six with all that all that athleticism, all that drive to be the best, right? The comps that you keep coming back to are Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. I mean, it's tough, right? We haven't seen this level of you know a mix of this level of athleticism and natural scoring ability and drive and determination and leadership, all the intangibles out of one guy in a while. And I think that's really hard to pass up on. So I'm firmly now in the Jalen Green side of things, 60-40, feeling, feeling Jalen Green, part of the Green gang now. It finally happened. I finally caved, not because of anybody else's pressure, but because of my own research and you know understanding of each of these players. And that's how it's supposed to work, right? Is I haven't really vacillated between these guys too much. I started Suggs, was Mobley for a very long time, and now I'm Jalen Green. I think I'm going to pretty much stick Jalen Green probably all the way through the draft. And I really feel like that's the direction the Houston Rockets are probably going to go. So coming up, we're going to chat with Stefan Martinez, uh, owner and head skills coach for Dig Deep Basketball. Really, really fun uh, interview coming up with Stefan. But before we get there, a quick message from our friends over at betonline.ag because look, BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. we got the NBA Finals. Only two more games left, potentially. Suns in four, right? Am I right? Can I get a Suns in four? <laughs> um, we got baseball season going on strong. Uh, they've also got NHL, UFC, MMA. I mean, they've got everything going on over at BetOnline. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. It's time for you to get in on the action. You can do that using promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now joining us for segments two and three of today's show is Stefan Martinez, owner and head skills coach for Dig Deep Basketball. Stefan, what's up? Hey, man, I appreciate you having me on. 
Absolutely. Well, I, you know, I wanted to get you on because I think that, we, you know, on this podcast, we talk about basketball all the live long day. And I think it's really, you know, an exciting opportunity to be able to talk to somebody like yourself who really, you know, works in this niche and works so closely with players and from the player development perspective to try and get these guys to where they want to be or improve where they're currently at. And I want to get, you know, a little bit of background on you and kind of how you got started on this journey and, and where kind of dig deep basketball came from. Yeah, so I'm originally from a really small area, about an hour south of St. Louis, Missouri, and um, played high school basketball, went on and played four years of college. And like I think most athletes, when they get done playing or towards the end, they start thinking about, okay, what am I going to do afterwards? Whereas, you know, we should probably be thinking about it earlier than that. But um, towards the end of it, you know, my the basketball in my area had been suffering. Um, it had never been a great basketball area, but I didn't think it was quite to what it had been in the last, you know, five to six years before I left the area. So I honestly just started training some kids um, in the summertime and actually went back to the school I was at. I coached there for a year. And then basically the next summer I just started to continue to train. And then I actually coached in college a couple more years. And basically I was coaching in college and then training in the summers, which gave me a great avenue to be on the sideline and also in the private sector. And then once I got done coaching in college in 2017, I was just like, there's only really two places in the world you can do just basketball. It's the NBA or in the private sector. You know, in high school, you got to teach. In college, you got to recruit. And I really didn't want to do any of that. I wanted to just teach basketball and own a business, which those three years of coaching in college and then doing my own thing in the summers allowed me to become full-time in 2017. And um, I've been blessed over the last, you know, I've been doing it six years, full-time, four years, I've been everywhere. I've been, you know, lived in Beijing, did clinics in Israel, Belgium, Australia. I've been all over the place, but uh, been blessed with a lot of uh, good mentors and even better players that are coachable and open to, uh, you know, developing their game. Speaking of, uh, you know, the players, some of the guys that you've kind of worked with over the years, who are some of those notable guys that you've spent time with uh, over the years since you've been doing this full time? Um, Well, Recent notably, you know, I work with Jay Sean Tates. You know, he's a the city of Houston loves him, you know, based on his effort and how he doesn't give up any possessions. Um, and then a former Rocket, actually, Isaiah Hartenstein, who just came off a outstanding year with Cleveland. Um, started the year at Denver, but outstanding year at Cleveland, which I wish honestly there's probably some place for him in Houston. I think that he would do really well in Houston with uh, the lack of interior depth that Houston has now. But um former other Rocket, Rob Covington. Um, and then I always have a slew of, you know, three to four pre-draft guys, Freddie Gillespie, uh, with the, uh, Toronto Raptors previously worked with Devonte Graham, the Charlotte Hornets. I just a bunch of slew of guys. Um, but my core group of guys, you know, are four to five guys early in their career, you know, uh, still building. They're not 28, 29 year old vets. You know, they're trying to work to get their second contract and always pre-draft guys come in. So, uh, but I got a great group of guys of young guys that are, um, eager to get better. So walk me through, Stefan, you know, kind of your, give me a little bit of a glimpse into your day to day. So, you know, you're, you're showing up for work, you know, what time do you start? You know, do you, do you have, you know, one day set aside for each guy? Do you kind of, you know, meet with multiple guys throughout one day? How does that work? Just kind of walk me through your day to day a little bit. Well, as far as like being on the court, like I have my things that I do that are probably an hour, hour and a half prep before I get on the floor, but, um, workout you start at eight. Uh, I have, I'm not going to go by what time guys work out. That's private information. But one of my guys, he likes to work out, you know, at eight. So usually the day starts at eight. And then typically workouts run all the way through 
three, three thirty, and depending on the day, if, if a couple guys come back and want to shoot at night, you usually come back and shoot at you know six, seven o'clock. Um, so guys are working out anywhere from five to seven times a week, um, and then they also have eighty-five percent of my guys have the same strength guy uh, at STF Houston, who does an outstanding job in the city in regards to prepping guys to uh, have what is the most important skill in basketball, and that's availability. You know, if you can shoot, dribble, and pass, but you're always hurt, it doesn't really matter. So they do a great job, but. That's a typical day. Uh, I'm really lucky where I get all my guys, you know, for 60 to 80 days every summer. It's not like they come in for a week and then leave for a week. Like they're really locked in Monday through Friday for, you know, the dog days of summer where it can get very mundane and boring. But you have to buy into that if you want the results when it comes to November through, you know, hopefully May and June. Now, when you when you get when you get these guys who come into your, you know, who, who come to you to, to work on something, is it? I guess, you know, how do you evaluate certain skill sets for certain guys? Like, do they come to you and they say, I want to work on X or do you maybe look at some film and you say, I think you can improve on, you know, on this area of your game or is it maybe a little bit of both? Is there a dialogue there? How does that work out? Um, I think it depends on the player. Like if it's a pre-draft guy, a young guy, like really what you're trying to do is create them a routine and then create them habits of staying away from the bad stuff that can be associated with being a millionaire basketball player. Um, whereas the older guys, like a guy like Jay Sean, like we create a script last year. We thought that would be beneficial to what we thought his role would be. And now, now he's a, he's a vet, right? He's the one playing the game. So there is dialogue like, well, what, what about this direction? Do we think we should go this direction? Like, yes, I'm the one that knows his game better than he does, but the same time there is some dialogue comparable to a pre-draft guy it's i don't want to say it's dictatorship but it's they don't really know you know they're 19 to 21 they don't really know how the nba works what's going to be expected you know at times there's a lot of humility like the vast majority of guys you're not going to get the keys to an organization you know um you have to get in where you fit in and find a niche and then you can kind of expand your role there but uh regards to breaking i mean everybody every player is a little bit different um I kind of attack mine the same way you do your business with a SWOT analysis, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Um, strengths are pretty self-explanatory. Weaknesses, everybody has them, even, you know, your best players in the world. Um, opportunities would be something that uh, is within their strength set, skill set, their strength, but it's not being maximized. So, like, for example, this player's really good at getting to the paint, but he doesn't have very many solutions when he gets there. So that would be an opportunity to maximize his strength. Whereas a threat would be something that would like keep you off the floor. So maybe you can really catch and shoot, but you can't defend pick and roll. Well, if you can't defend pick and roll with the modern NBA, it's going to be hard to play. So that's kind of the basis of how you kind of structurally attack their offseason. But yeah, I mean, I watch every clip, every possession they play the previous year and even years before that uh, to create a strategic plan. Cause it's not just about working hard, but you got to work with purpose. You know, we don't work out for two and a half hours. You know, it's anywhere from 50 to 60 minutes, but it's very high tempo and purposeful. You don't have to be tired, dog tired to get better, you know? So you gotta, you gotta have purpose as well. But that's kind of like a little insight to regards to how I tag guys off seasons. You know, it's funny, you, you mentioned SWOT analysis. Believe it or not, Stefan, this is not the first time that we've used SWOT analysis on this podcast. So that's actually incredible. I love that. Um, that's that's great to hear. But uh, you, you talk about, you know, kind of the differences, right? You get some of the, the pre-draft guys and you get some more, you know, veteran guys like Jay Sean. In, in, your, in your opinion, is it easier with 
the guys that are, you know, a bit more already kind of established, those veterans, or is it easier with the guys who, you know, the younger guys who maybe you might be able to mold them a little bit better? Which one do you prefer when you're, when it comes to training? Well, Jay Sean and Isaiah and like Freddie and a couple of the guys, like I got them when they were still rookies or young, young players. So, you know, I kind of put the analogy like comparable to working with someone that's 29, 30 years old, been in the game for six, seven years compared to young guys. It's, you know, it's like learning a foreign language at age six or age 30. You know, you'd rather learn at age six because you're a sponge. You know, you're creating new habits. Comparable if you're older, you're trying to either adjust or get rid of an old habit and create a new one. Um, so the younger guys are um, a little bit easier to create habits. Um, now, we're all talking about NBA players, not talking about the youth level, you know, high school, middle school, and even maybe college. It's the small things. You know, these guys are, there's only 450 full-time, not counting two-way jobs. And I try to put in perspective the guys, like, you know, how many real estate agents do you know? How many teachers are there? You know, like, this is a very fine niche where there's only 450 of those full-time jerseys. So it's, it's the small things. It's not like working with a player that can't shoot left-hand layups, you know, like you can get, it's just, it's like a diet, you know, like when people get on a diet, they lose, they lose weight quick like that. That's how it is when you're not very good. But when you're in really good shape and you still want to drop six, seven pounds, it's tough. Like it's really about the details and the really, the micros regards to how you attack your day. But um, I think it's easier to create habits at an earlier age than older for sure. Okay. All right. Well, Stefan, I want to, I want to continue this conversation with you. I'm already learning so much. This is really, you know, insightful. This is, you know, great to hear this from a professional like yourself. And I want to get into some, some nitty gritty questions, get some really, you know, some specific answers on, on how you approach certain things. And we're going to get there after a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar, because look, if you've never had a protein bar that you actually care about, right, you got to check out Built Bar. And the reason why these protein bars, they're not, you know, they're not gritty or chalky like some of the other protein bars on the market. They're basically a candy bar that's jam-packed with protein. Every single bar is going to be low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and they've got so many great flavors to choose from. you got salted caramel, raspberry, coconut brownie chunk, mint chocolate chip. I mean, you really can't go wrong with any of the flavors on their menu. So be sure to visit BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your very next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Continue our conversation with Stefan Martinez of Dig Deep Basketball. Now, Stefan, I want to kind of know that like when you're starting out with a player, you know, how do you gauge, I, I guess, improvement? And that's kind of a broad term. So I want to know, you know, do you do you kind of create a baseline of like where they're at in a certain category or with a certain skill and then build from there? How does that work in your eyes? Well, I think the the pre-draft guys, and the NBA guys are a little bit different. You know, um, the pre-draft guys, the baseline is. I guess it's on both sides, but how coachable are they? You know, how open are they to new things? And secondly, or thirdly, is their psychological. You know, I think that players and coaches, everybody gets caught up in like, well, at the higher level you go, they're bigger, they're faster, they're more skilled. They're psychologically stronger. Their mental capacity is better. Their processing of information is higher because it is faster. It's a faster game with better athletes. So them able to process information, I think the pre-draft guys would tell you that the, like, the workouts are very like, do this, then do that, and do this. I say one time, understand it. And then on top of that, you got to make five out of seven or six out of eight or seven out of ten. Um, 
once you get past that processing information, then it's okay. How efficiently can you process the information by being skilled? You know, so, all right, you're working on this type of catch and shoot at a certain action. Like, can you process the information, but then can you be efficient within that action? Um, that, cause the pre-draft is a little bit different, right? We don't have any NBA film from you to be based on. Whereas a guy that's in the NBA, it's based on results. And in this business, whether it's me or the NBA or even what you do, nobody cares about anything but results. And if you can get results, then you can get, you know, better opportunities. And in basketball or sport, it's getting paid more and be able to help people outside of just yourself. So I think that um, being able to understand the processing information and then once you're an NBA player, it's results like, okay, I did this well. I didn't do this well. This is my efficiency numbers on this. Okay, I need to build on that and then also be able to grow in a different area. So results, results, results. So what types of drills in your experience, you know, because I mean, I, you go through so many wide ranging different sets of drills, offensive, defensive, which ones do you feel like kind of, I guess, lend themselves a bit more so to like a real in-game environment or directly translate to the best results? Is there anything specific that you swear by? You, you make sure to run certain sets with certain guys. How, how does that work? Decision making. You know, the, the game is about making decisions. You, if you can shoot, dribble, and pass, but you don't know when to do them, it doesn't really matter. Or you do them at the wrong time. You know, I, I, I tell the guys, you know, maybe we'll work on something tactical like this certain type of finish, comparable to this type of finish because it's better. But if you're in the game and execute the finish, you don't get style points for a certain finish. So at times, the decision is more important than the skill. So always be able to make guys make decisions in the workout. Now, you have to get to a certain threshold of skill before we can make you make the decision whether to do this or to do that. So there's obviously what you call block training where do this rep over and over. Nope, do it again. Nope, not right. Nope, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. But there's also times where we need to put you in a position to make a decision because that's how it's going to be in the game. Um, you know, it's not uh, like some other sports that I, on the top of my head is thinking, you know, if you hit a, you know, you're playing baseball and you hit it to the left side into the third base, you're not picking whether you go to first or third. You're not playing cat and mouse. It's run as hard as you can to first. Where basketball's not that way. You know, if you drive it, you got to decide whether the help comes to commit it early, the help comes late, commit or no commitment finish. So stimulating decisions. And then I would say within shooting um, is not making things so blocked. You got to have blocked where it's like, okay, make 20 at this spot. But you also got to have randomized shooting where shoot this shot, then this shot, then this shot on the floor because that's how it is in the game. You're not going to take 20 corner frees in a row. Now, you need to have those reps to make sure that you're doing the same shot the same way every time. But you also need to make it randomized so it feels more game-like. So when it comes to when it comes to those reps, right, you're talking about, you know, the, the block reps of, you know, take 20 of this shot or, or 50 of this shot. You know, is there like a multiplier that you have in your head for if a guy hits all right, X number of these shots, you think he's going to be able to hit X number in a, in a real game situation? Or do you not concern yourself with it from like a statistics perspective like that? Well, we try to hover uh, at 70 percent on catch and shoots. Um, finishing, we try to hover more around 80 to 85, you know, and, and my um experience i think that there's been i've had players that shoot 70 75 and then they shoot 40 to 44 in the game whereas i've got to shoot 70 
and then they shoot 30 to 32. So, but a lot of that can be based on rhythm and where you're getting your shots and what kind of pass it is and that type of deal. But we try to hover around 70, you know, we really start the baseline of five out of seven, then it goes to seven, 10, then it goes to 10, 14, and then it goes to 14, 20. And then it hovers around, you know, 17, 25, because those are bigger sample sizes, you know, okay, you can make five, seven, Okay, can you maintain that same that same percentage at a bigger sample, 7, 10, 10, like I just said. So it builds up from that. Um, but I don't just start a player at 70. You know, if it's a player that's really starting to develop how to shoot, like Isaiah Hartenstein, he didn't wasn't allowed to shoot any threes at Houston. He can shoot the ball now. He hovers at 70% in his workouts, and at some point in his career, he's going to be shooting four to five threes a game. He's only 23 years old, so it's like reverse engineering that. You know, like he only shot four threes this year for the season or sorry, six, two for six, that's the most reason made in his career. But now people are like, okay, I test wise because we really developed it, it looks better. So sometimes in the NBA, if it looks okay, they'll let you shoot it, you know? But uh, a guy like that that was at the bottom of trying to figure out how to shoot, we don't start him at five, seven. Maybe we start him at three, five, four, six, two out of three. And then as you build it up, um, we try to move the sample size up with the percentage. So I, I do want to circle back to that decision-making, you know, point that you brought up earlier, because I think that's so fascinating and it kind of falls into one of those, you know, I feel like sometimes with sports, right, you get, you know, people, fans especially get a little bit too caught up with like the box scores and they, you know, they you know, advanced stats and all that. When basketball, there's, there's a game, there's so, there's so many elements that can't be quantified. You know, you can't look at a box score or look at an advanced stat and be like, oh, that guy is, you know, good at X, Y, Z. And I think decision-making is, is one of those where it's, it's tough to quantify, but I want to know from, from you. Like how, you know, how do you build that ability besides, you know, actual like real in-game reps, be it, you know, one-on-one, three-on-three, five-on-fives. I mean, are there any specific drills that you put in place to try and, you know, really build up a player's, you know, ability to make those decisions on the fly and really grow that, that part of their game? Well, I think I said, I briefly said it earlier, like, I think you first have to tactically work on the ability to make the right play in that decision. You know, like, okay. Yeah. I'm really good at driving right, but I can't pass on my right hand. It's bad. It's like, okay, well, let's develop your right hand because you get to that spot, but you don't have the tactical skill to make that pass or whatever skill set it is. You know, it's like being skilled in that decision before you're able to make the right decision. It's like, okay, I made the right decision, but, you know, I threw the shaft in the full pass. I threw it in the you know. So I think first you have to work on that. And players now are so visual, you know, like like I am right now. I'm on my phone for this pod is they have to see it to believe it. And they're not just going to believe it. One, they may not believe it. And for two, they might believe it. But then when you correct them in it, they, they can't get a, a imagination for what it's supposed to look like. Like even in workouts, not for social media, but I might just take a quick video of three to four seconds of you doing it. Never post anywhere. And that's not for that reason. And just show them and they'll be like, oh. You're right. Okay. All right. I see what you're saying. But me just saying, no, do it again. Ah, not quite right. It's a little tougher. So uh, to backpedal, you know, I think work on the tactical skill within the decision, and then you can try to put them in a position to make the right decision with their skills being, you know, good enough to make it. Okay. I like, and I guess that, sorry, that was kind of what I was trying to build up to was, you know, cause I, I do, you know, completely hear you on, on, you know, 
blocking and getting everything just right to where the skill is there. But then it's the actual element of being able to make those decisions in, you know, a real fast paced environment. Is that something, you know, do you guys run like five on five sets to be able to do that? Do you run, you know, what kind of specific things do you get into once you do build up that skill to that point? How do you try to, I guess, mimic some of those in-game reps? Or is it one of those where it's just like, all right, we've got the skill there. Now go out and do it in a real game. Well, I mean, I think you, you do need to play twos and threes and fives, but I'm lucky enough in my workouts, I have, you know, three to four, maybe even five people helping me. So I'm able to, you know, throw it to a player like, okay, drive it downhill, read the tag there, the help defender there. If they do this and you got to do that, if they do this, you know, it's, there's defenders out there and they're making you make decisions. It's not me. What I, what I tell the guys is scripting it, you know, or do this, then do that, then do this. It's, I'm not telling them what to do on the help. They're going to make their own decision on do they help or they not help. They do help, and then he helps. Then what are you supposed to do? So um, really simulating uh, advantage situations. You know, I think that a lot of people in basketball, they've always known about like, all right, three on two, two on one in the fast break. That stuff happens in the half court every possession. If I drive it and I beat my defender off, off the ball and I swing it to somebody, now it's three on two on the weak side. Can you make the right decision out of that? And that's a uh, play that always comes to mind. That's what Draymond Green did. You know, they would blitz Steph off the high middle every time he'd throw it to him, and he was the best player in the NBA playing four on three or three on two. It was either an assist or in a hockey. So getting players in that decision-making position in, in their workouts in the half court of reading three on two, two on one positions instead of just – transition you know like okay two on one transition that happens too but that's much easier than in the half court because bigger windows so just trying to put them in those positions yeah it's a it's a it's a rockets podcast so i don't want to say too many nice things about draymond green but uh you know there's uh one play that always comes to mind right is he he broke up that it was, it was a one it was either a one on three or a one on four fast break and it looked like everybody else on the warriors gave up on that possession draymond gets back gets a stop by himself like one on three in transition and that was just that was his decision making he stopped the right guy stunted at the other guy put you know got a contest up and it was a beautiful play i mean he's a he's an all-world defender for his decision making and then also the the, you know, the physical attributes that he's been gifted with. But before we get you out of here, Stefan, I want to circle back to, because we, we talked about him a little bit early on, but, you know, a guy like Jay Sean Tate, who, you know, you look at him and he really is, you know, for all intents and purposes, he's such a complete player. I think that, you know, there's one area that I think a lot of people have commented on, myself included, where we'd really like to see him make a significant jump and become a little bit more consistent with his outside shot. But, you know, past that, like, what are some of the things that, you know, you kind of plan to be able to work on him with and things that, you know, areas of his game where when you've got such a well-rounded guy like that, it's not like there's not room for improvement, but he's got such a high baseline for everything that he does on the court already. Where do you go with a guy like that? Well, you know, Jay Sean's going to do multiple things every night. Doesn't matter who he's playing. Doesn't matter what the other team does. He's going to finish in the paint. He's going to defend. He's going to rebound, and he's going to rotate on defensively every single night. And, um, you know, I think for him, you know, he hovered like at 31% from three. You know, I think I agree with that. You know, he needs to hover more towards 35, 36 would be great because then what are you going to do on the closeouts? Because you're not going to close out hard. No. He's going to get put two feet in the paint. Um, but me and Jay Sean always talk about is like we don't want our so-called bag of our as a basketball player to be wide, we want it to be deep. You're not going to be great at everything. 
LeBron James is not great at everything. You know, Kevin Durant's not great at everything. Like your greatest players in the world aren't great at everything. They have their weaknesses too. They just continue to deepen what they're good at. So for Jay Sean and us, it's not like, all right, Jay Sean, you're going to turn into an isolation top of the keep. You know, like you have what is really good in the NBA, top 1% skill with another couple other skills that can be top 10%. And that can make you a really, really, really good player and be a more importantly, a winning player on winning teams that can result to you in being creating whatever legacy you want to create. But we always talk about not being wide. We don't want to be good at six things. That's not what the NBA is because if you're good at it, someone's already great at it. And that's the difference between college and the NBAs. You can't be okay. You're good at something. And that's what you do. Like, sure, it could be your third or fourth thing you do, but it can't be like, okay, think about in the other circle. What if Jay Sean's best thing he did was shoot threes and you said he shot 31%? He might not have a job. Yeah. You know, like he's got three other, two other, maybe three other things he does outstanding. So we always, I talk about all our players is we want to get that, that bag deep and not so wide and continue to smash what we're really good at and make that even deeper comparable to being good at you know seven or eight things i love that that is incredibly insightful stefan uh this conversation has been a a delight i feel like i've learned a lot about you about just you know how this whole process works and and how these players you know are striving to get better every single day before we get you out of here is there anything you want to plug you let people track you down at uh you know anything off the top of your head and no i just like i said i'm i'm blessed with a great bunch of you know good dudes um and uh, a lot of people around me that are supportive and coachable and allow us to, you know, pull out of them what they didn't know was already there and uh, allow them to, uh, you know, create uh, opportunities for themselves on the court and off the court they didn't think was possible. But um, I know you got my Twitter handle there. My Instagram is at uh, Dig Deep Basketball. Um, you can basically reach me on those two platforms I use most often. But no, I appreciate you having me on and uh, hopefully. Uh, you guys will have a better year. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a, it's a really a relearning process, right? But that's, that's part of it. You guys had a man, you guys had a great run, a great, great run. But, um, I think you guys on the way up, I like Silas. I think, uh, I think it's going to go in the right direction for sure. I think so too. And, uh, you know, hopeful, ho- all we can hope for is that whoever they pick with this number two overall selection is going to, you know, get in, get brought in, get brought into the right culture and get Silas to, to coach him up and everything. But Stefan, really appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right. That is going to do it for today's episode. As always, thank you so much for watching, for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. We are very close to breaking a thousand subscribers. Be sure to subscribe to Apple, Spotify, all those different podcast subscribers. Listen to the podcast. We would sincerely appreciate it. But for today's episode, that is going to do it. As always, thank you so much for listening, watching, all that good stuff. We look forward to having you come back for our very next episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.